I'm Israel Gutierrez, one of the hosts of ESPN Daily. For those who don't know, I've worked professionally in sports since 2000, have been with ESPN since 2012, and have been out and proud as a gay man since 2015, when I first shared that information with the public. Since that time, I've learned what it really means to live freely, and frankly, regret not coming out much sooner. Naturally, I've been passionate about LGBTQ-related topics in sports, and there have been plenty. But nothing hit home with the same weight that the National Hockey League's ban on pride tape and their subsequent change of heart did. There were already signs across the country that we're regressing when it comes to LGBTQ rights and support. But when a sports league chose to unilaterally ban a simple sign of support for an oppressed group, it felt for the first time like the regression was very real in sports, and it was happening fast. Of course, the ban was reversed after the words and actions of a few defiant players. But the initial decision was so damaging and telling that even the reversal doesn't come close to settling the issue of LGBTQ inclusion in the NHL or all sports for that matter. So I wanted to bring in my colleague and friend, Emily Kaplan, to have a candid discussion about what happened in hockey, what we can learn from it, and most importantly, who really are the affected people when it comes to this subject. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Friday, November 3rd. This is ESPN Daily. Okay, Emily, I wanted to talk to you about some topics around the game that can sort of lead us into the larger discussion about sports and culture and just how much of an impact this whole NHL decision has had on a lot of people. Uh, so as our jumping off point, of course, we want to go back to sort of when this started a little bit. It was January um, in a game with the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's just broaden this out. This is something we've seen across many sports, right? And I'll speak specifically to hockey. In the NHL, for certain games, teams put on the calendar a theme night. Hockey fights cancer, military appreciation, Black history, Asian American history, other nonprofit themes, including, most pertinently to our conversation, Pride Night. So the players wear this special warm-up jersey honoring that theme, and then the team would auction it off and they'd make money for a charity. All seems good, right? Then there became an issue with one of these specific Pride Nights, and that was in this January game with the Flyers. One of their defensemen, his name is Ivan Provorov, he said, I don't really want to wear this jersey. I respect everybody, and I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. And he cited his Russian Orthodox religion. He said, I don't believe in supporting Pride Night. And the Flyers didn't know what to do, so basically their hockey operations department said, why don't you just not participate in warm-ups? Cool. They thought the issue would go away. It did not go away. And so what happened after that when you say it didn't go away? There were other players and other teams decided that their Pride Nights, they didn't want to participate in them also, correct? Right, yeah. So the NHL has done this for a number of years and no one has ever seen an issue with it. Hmm. But once Provorov made his decision, it empowered a, I want to emphasize this, small group of players in the league to follow his suit. Right. And so I believe it was seven players total. This is a league, remember, of 700 plus players. So very small minority. 
but they cited either religious beliefs or they were Russians and they said they feared retributions back in their home country where there are laws against supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. And they said, no, we don't want to participate in this either. Then there were several teams, the New York Rangers, the Minnesota Wild, the Chicago Blackhawks, and they just made the decision, okay, we see that there's a couple players opting out. We don't want to make this a big thing. So we're not going to do any pride jerseys and warmups altogether. And that became a huge kerfuffle of who's going to participate, who's not going to participate. And quite frankly, it became a public relations disaster for the NHL. You know, it's not the hockey operations department that is creating these nights. It's the marketing departments. It's the business side. They're doing it to engage with the larger community. Something we're going to talk about a lot on this episode, Izzy, I'm sure, is this theme, hockey is for everyone. Growing the game has become this mantra. And business sides of hockey teams realize that they need to make fan bases broader and more inclusive. And so to do that, they're basically using the players as vehicles. The issue with Ivan Provorov, and I think why this became such a bombastic issue, is he told the team, I believe, the morning of the hockey operation side, they want to handle it in-house. They didn't engage at all with the business and marketing side. Hmm. And so when all of a sudden the warm-ups happened and Ivan Provorov wasn't there and everyone's asking questions, nobody was fully in sync. And that's why it became an issue. Got you. And, you know, you mentioned the law, the Russian law that was passed in December of 2023, basically expanding a previous law that says you can't show any sort of support or what they call propaganda toward the LGBTQ community. And this is where the fear of retribution happens from the Russian players, a small amount of Russian players. There have been a couple who have claimed it flatly saying, hey, we don't know what this law actually means. It could just be a fine or it could be further retribution. It could be deeper retribution. It could affect me and potentially my family here. And I know there isn't anything we can sort of say for certain, right? But there has been an uptick in concern since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Tell me how that's come into play and whether there is an actual real fear there from these players. This is an area where I feel like hockey teams and hockey people feel and probably are unqualified to speak on. And ever since Russia invaded Ukraine and engaged in a war that's still going on today, it's been a very sensitive topic of how do we address this with our players who are Russian nationals and have family back there and are saying, if we do speak out against the war, or we speak out against the regime or certain laws, me or my family could see retribution. Hockey teams are like, like, of course, they're going to support them when you say something like that. Right. That said, the NHL's deputy commissioner, Bill Daly, who is a lawyer, has said they found no credible threats to a hockey player wearing a pride jersey and retribution back home. That said, if you're a hockey coach or GM and your player is saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing this and here's why, you're probably going to support the player. Once sort of the dust settled on those pride nights, the season comes to an end. What happened in the offseason that got us to a pride tape ban? Yeah, so the NHL had its Board of Governors meetings. That's all the owners gather with Gary Bettman. Right, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, who's been in charge of the National Hockey League since 1993. And they decided, you know what? This has become too much of a distraction. Gary Bettman kept using that word distraction. Hmm. He didn't like that. So he said, let's just ban all specialty jerseys, not just Pride Night, but all of them. It's just, it's becoming too much. And this unilateral ban was both approved by the NHL Board of Governors and the Players Union also gave their rubber stamp. And they're like, you know what? Hmm. That's fine. It is putting our players in some uncomfortable positions. We're cool with it. Then 
Gary Bettman took that and took it a step too far because there was also an issue of pride tape of players wrapping their sticks with rainbow to support the LGBTQIA plus community. And Gary said, you know what? We don't want that, too. The players union said, whoa, 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 whoa. They didn't like that. And so I guess where where I'm trying to figure out here is, is there any reason why Gary Bettman would have made this choice unilaterally without seeing what the public reaction would have been? Well, I think you need to know something about Gary Bettman. As the commissioner of this league, he just has this obsession with competitive balance. Hmm. He takes a lot of pride in the parity of the league, that any team can win in any given year. And therefore, he wants to treat all of his teams and all of the players equally. And so Gary Bettman felt like he was putting players in this position to be singled out, and therefore it was distraction, and therefore it wasn't fair to those players and taking away from the game. But as I say this, I hope you're understanding the irony in all of this, because this is a sport that is so desperate to grow. But this messaging doesn't align with that, because it's saying not everyone is welcome in this equal playing field. And is he? that's a really damning message to send. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about hockey culture in that respect, because you, you mentioned sort of Gary Bettman uh, being obsessed with parody and all being about the team first and there's no individuals and it's team, team, team. Uh, just talk to me a little bit more in depth about where this comes from, how deep-rooted it is, what we really talk about when we hear the words hockey culture, because it doesn't seem to really fit in with inclusivity. I mean, look, hockey is a sport that's rooted in uniformity. Mm. There is a culture um, that begins at the youth level, and it's really just about the logistics of the game. If you think of a star player, Connor McDavid, he's only playing about a third of the game. Therefore, he understands to reach his ultimate goal, he's so dependent on his teammates. Hmm. We also see star players never wanting to make it about themselves, and they've been taught that this would put them above the team. They don't even use the pronoun I. They say we or you. We also have to understand the demographics of hockey. It is a largely homogeneous sport. Uh It's an elite sport. It's an inaccessible sport for a lot of people. Ice time is expensive. It's not in all areas of the country or the world. We see the demographics of the NHL. It is by and large white. Um, These are the reasons why we're talking about being making hockey is for everyone. But if you think about it at its core, it's only been for a certain type of people and certain line of thinking for so long. Yeah, and that lends itself to why we're seeing this level of discussion in hockey more so than any other sport. This insularity and uniformity leads, potentially, to a lack of awareness about certain minority groups. If you're surrounded by similar people from similar backgrounds with similar experiences, maybe you need to learn more about those groups you're looking to support before you actually do so. Completely. And you think about hockey culture, and again, this phrase, hockey is for everyone, grow the game, like that's just become this mantra. But then you think of the people in charge and it's not people with a lot of exposure to that. First, if you think of players, it's very insular. You you play the sport from a young age. The guys then go play for junior teams. They often go to a private high school that's just catered to a hockey team or they get homeschooled. They're not exposed to diverse or different people. Um, the NHL, again, if I'm talking about from a leadership standpoint, They're cognizant of this. And in 2022, they released their first ever diversity and inclusion report. They said, let's just look at the demographics of who's working in the NHL. And the stats that they find, I think you guys are all going to find pretty alarming or maybe unsurprising. 
84% of employees across the NHL and its teams are white. About 62% of the workers in the NHL identify as men. And pertinent to this discussion, Izzy, 93% of the NHL's workforce that participated in this survey identified as straight or heterosexual. We'll be right back. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Yeah, so Emily, I can't help but think about my sort of feelings when I've been to Pride Nights in the past. And so as somebody who didn't come out until he was 31 years old, um, I considered myself a bit of a coward for a lot of that time. But once I experienced sort of the, there's no other word for it, just the, the pride that comes with going into an arena or a stadium and having signs everywhere showing support, having that in the place where I've worked and frankly was part of the reason I was a coward for so long because the sports world is a very difficult place to come out um, in. And when you see that environment in, you know, around the sport that you love, it feels amazing. It feels empowering. It feels like everybody there knows, hey, this is not a group of people that you should be bigoted against. This is not a group of people that you should discriminate against. They are like everyone else. And I think in the sports setting, you don't get that outside of these nights. And so you expand that to then the pride tape that a lot of players were putting on their sticks and showing support, even if it wasn't on pride night. That is next level just in terms of of just feels great. And, and it feels like, you know, there are allies out there speaking for us that we don't need to be the ones always putting the pressure on ourselves to speak for ourselves. And so when the Pride tape ban happened, Emily, it felt like I did when I was a kid when I thought to myself, well, there's no way I'm going to come out in this environment. And it just seems to be getting worse or have gotten worse through this. And so I just want to sort of discuss what the reaction was from players, maybe even some coaches, um, and then what happened afterward. Yeah, well, your experiences are so important to share here, Izzy, because you only see what's in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. The NHL, like as we're talking about this, they sound like a group who's completely unaware, but actually this league has done a ton of outreach with the gay community. Mm -hmm. They partnered with a group called You Can Play for about a decade now. There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes work but the pride tape and the jerseys were front-facing activation. Hmm. So a fan like you, or uh, better for the NHL, a potential fan like you can see it and say, hey, look, this is a, a sport that supports me and can be welcome to me. So I think a lot of players saw that disconnect and got really frustrated because, for in large part, hockey players want to support growing the game. And they want to say, hey, if you're gay, if you're black, if you're Asian, whatever background you're from, this game is for you and we want you to play it because we want to see it thrive. 
And so players were really annoyed that their right to support everyone was taken away. And so tell me what Coyotes defenseman Travis Dermott did. So Travis Dermott is going to become a very important figure in NHL history. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting because when it comes to the ice, he doesn't necessarily have a remarkable career. He's 26 years old. He played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, a really important organization. Didn't work out for him there. He's currently with the Arizona Coyotes trying to keep his career alive. And a lot of players have been talking behind the scenes. Hey, I know the NHL banned the pride tape, but I'm going to do it anyway. Travis Dermott went out and did it. And very quietly, he didn't tell his teammates. He didn't make a big deal. But all of a sudden, a fan was watching their game and noticed, hey, does Travis Dermott have rainbow tape around his stick? And he sure did. And it was his sign of support of saying, hey, look, I know the NHL doesn't want us to do this, but it is more important to me to show that I am an ally, that for my friends and people I know in the gay community and potential fans, that this can be a safe space for you. And again, he's becoming a very important figure in NHL history. I mean, he's already a superhero in the LGBTQ community. I can tell you that. But I would like to sort of dig into some of the things that he said. He said, quote, I'd be lying if I said I haven't shed tears about this on multiple occasions. He said, I have some family that's involved in the LGBTQ community. So I'd like to step forward and in the future take part in supporting them more vigorously. So, yeah, it's something I'm definitely very passionate about. The message that I did get, you know, it uh, really makes you feel... Um happy that you're able to kind of take this step and support this community that if you think they need it, if you don't think they need it, I'll send you screenshots in my DMs and you know, I think you'll, uh, you'll agree pretty quick that um, this, this meant something to a lot of people. And when I read those quotes, I couldn't help but think of the fury that must have been inside a lot of these players. And I'm not talking about closeted gay players. I'm talking about straight players who have friends who are in the community, who have family who are in the community, and you are telling them, your employer is telling you, you can't show the slightest bit of support toward those people. This isn't a political discussion. This isn't some sort of random folks that you're talking about that are way off in the distance. These are people within the households and within the friend groups of players in the NHL. And so when you do that, and that's not even getting to Emily, the idea of being closeted in the NHL right now and how unsupported you must feel. But the idea that these players actually have people in their circles who are LGBTQ and need this level of support, because let's be honest, we're under siege in this country. Um, that must have been so infuriating, again, to non-LGBTQ people within the sport. Totally. And again, this is why these front-facing activations or advocacy is so important. Behind the scenes, again, as I explained to you, the NHL has actually done a lot of work. They have something called the Player Inclusion Committee, which is supposed to be a sounding board for Gary Bettman and other executives of the league to say like, hey, look, you're kind of out of line here. And they had already engaged in discussions with the league office about reversing this pride tape ban. The NHL's Players Association had been engaging in those talks as well. But then Travis Dermott goes out there and he puts that rainbow tape on his stick and less than 72 hours, they reversed the ban. And you have to make a correlation between the publicity that he got and the changing of policy. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you talked about a small minority creating the ban in the first place. But in this sense, it was one person showing, frankly, what's the right thing to do in this situation and reversing it even faster. It kind of goes to show you which side is the right side to be on, does it not? It sure does. And again, like... 
Travis Dermott is a guy who's on a one-year, two-way contract. He's in the league minimum. Think about that, Emily. He is got okay. So there are are closeted gay men and women who decide to stay closeted because they want to put their career first. Because they say, "Hey, I've worked my whole life for this. I'll go ahead and deal with the homophobia that comes with it as long as I can succeed in this sport I love." Travis Dermott is not even that. He is a supporter, but he is willing to risk his career effectively for a statement that says, hey, they are people too, and I support them. Just had a baby. Um, got another one coming in a couple months. You know, you, you really kind of put your life into perspective when stuff like that happens. Um, and you know, my close family that's tied to the community, it, uh, it really just gets you thinking, you know, you want to be the best example as you can be. That is amongst the most heroic things I've heard in sports. I completely agree with you. And Travis Dermott said afterwards, I don't know what the repercussions were going to be. I just did it. Another thing I do want to note, though, is that there were several other players that I had talked to that were planning on showing support and doing this. Travis Dermott was just the first to do it. And another thing that I really want to emphasize here is that a majority of NHL players support the gay community. They do. A lot of players come from a mindset where inclusivity is important to them. They come from, honestly, liberal pockets, if I'm going to say it quite frankly. Canada, Hmm. which is a very liberal country. Scandinavia, we see a lot of players from Finland and Sweden. And these are all places where LGBTQIA plus support is just commonplace. Um, But speaking to hockey culture, they don't want to go against the team and they never want to make it above themselves. And when there's a policy that's telling them that you shouldn't do something, takes a lot of bravery to go against the grain, especially in our sport. Yeah, I mean, going against the grain, like you mentioned, is not very popular in this sport. And so when they do this, how important is it to them to just not be painted with this sort of broad brush that says, a few players are are saying this, so the rest of you are going to be painted with that same broad brush. That was just as important for them to sort of stand out and say, hey, you won't speak for me. I'm going to speak for myself, right? It was. But again, this is happening at the beginning of a new season. And all of these players are fighting for ice time and roster spots. They're fighting for their ultimate goal, which is the Stanley Cup. It is so important in hockey specifically to get out to a strong start of the season. We see all these stats about if you're in playoff position by American Thanksgiving, like less than two months into the season, you've got like a 70% chance of making the playoffs. So when all this is going on in the background, to take an advocacy stand for a social issue is not something that they're necessarily trained or comfortable doing. So where did we land on this then? With Pride Tape, it just can be used whenever you want to, and Pride Nights are still on. Yeah, so the Pride Tape, and here's the real irony in all of this, and no one's talked about this, but even though the NHL technically, quote, banned it, the NHL rulebook never changed. And in the NHL rulebook, it says a player can use tape of any color. So... It's all a picker bubble, kind of about nothing. As for the specialty jerseys, basically what they said is players will not wear them in warmups. We are sticking with that. However, teams are still having themed nights, including Pride Nights, and they're still producing these jerseys and auctioning it off. And I'm very curious over the next coming weeks and months to see, are they still going to get the same monetary support that they had if it was game used and if the players were wearing them? More after the break. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Emily, when the ban was reversed, there was sort of this sigh of relief and everybody says, oh, okay, the NHL corrected itself. Everything's fine. Everything's not fine. Because the idea that that even happened just reminds every person who might be LGBTQ, who might think they're LGBTQ, who might be closeted, who might be open, who love the sport and say, yeah, that didn't feel good. And I know what some of the real feelings are. And I know that you are effectively trying to shut down any support for me and people like me. And this makes me think about, you know, the sports I play. I'm in a a gay flag football league. It's a national gay flag football league. It's the NGFFL. They have cities across the country all having leagues. And Fort Lauderdale is one of them, or South Florida is one of them. And not only is it very refreshing to to not have to sort of fear um, any sort of homophobia, just to have a safe space to compete, but I always get the question, why is there a need for a gay league? Why can't you just play in a straight league. And frankly, I've played my entire life in whatever leagues, pickup games, whatever, not being LGBTQ specific. But the reason we need that space is to feel safe, is to explore just our interest in sports without the fear that comes with homophobia within sports and just sort of that toxic masculinity that's sometimes encouraged in the game. And I've experienced so many friends who never thought they would play this particular sport. They were intimidated by it and joined this league and has opened up so many avenues for them. And so when you have people naturally ask, hey, why do you need pride nights? Why do you need to support uh, a minority when you're talking about what they do in the bedroom? And I say, yeah, that's mind-bogglingly frustrating to me. I know that sounding like you have to do this or feeling like you have to do this feels weird. But now think about us. 
who have no say in the matter, who I think this, Emily, is a part of this discussion that kind of has to be said because the opposite is almost being said. The idea of being gay as a choice is something I thought we got past a long time ago. It's something that I feel like, you know, a lot of people are basically implying now or just flat out saying, hey, I don't agree with that lifestyle or I don't believe, there is nothing for you to believe in. There's nothing for you to agree with. Scientifically, we exist. And, and you choosing to stand out and purposely not show support for a group of people based on bigoted beliefs. And in this situation, it feels like an entire sports league decided to support that group first. And that, it's just such a mind on mental health. Especially if you've thought we've gotten past this, especially if you've had the courage to step out and maybe come out and maybe you're still a little fearful about retribution and everything else. And then this happens. It's just, I don't think people really understand how this can impact you in the long term. Man, Izzy, <laughs> that was really eloquent and it was so well said. And I think that's at the core issue of it is that why are we bending over backwards to support a small group that, quite frankly, is bigoted rather than celebrating the large majority of people who want to welcome people in open arms, just don't feel like they have the voice to do it. And again, I know I feel like a broken record, but when it comes time to show up, hockey players have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Brent Sopel, when he won the Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks, took it to a pride parade in 2010. Luke Prokop came out. He was drafted by the Nashville Predators as a second-round pick. He's in his ways in juniors. He's got a ways to go to even get to the NHL. And he said, I'm gay, and I want everyone to know if I was making my way in this league, I want to live my authentic self. And his agent promised him, if you come out, it will not affect your career. We'll see if he makes it to the league. But when he came out, there was such widespread support across the league. The National Predators embraced him with open arms from Captain Roman Yossi to the big league club. But also just the messages and outpouring of support he received was huge. But to minimize all of that, to create an experience like the one that you just detailed, like that is so much more damning than anything I just told you. Well, there's already been signs that show you that, hey, maybe we weren't really headed in the direction we thought because you look at a player like Michael Sam, who after being drafted didn't make the team, or someone like Jason Collins coming out in the NBA in 2013, but that not opening the floodgates like you would have hoped even now, 10 years later. And it's worth pointing out that this is mainly a phenomenon in male sports. We've seen in leagues like the WNBA or the NWSL, there are a number of athletes who openly identify as gay women or non-binary. And so you start to look and say, okay, what are the signs that are going to allow another gay male player to come out, an active gay male player to come out, someone to potentially or multiple people to potentially open the floodgates and allow, you know, a lot of players to be their true selves. And this just basically sets that back by so much, not just the initial ban, but even the entire discussion around it. Because look, Gay athletes, yes, they're gay, but they're also athletes. Like, even having this discussion with you, Emily, it's heavy on me. You know, it, it feels heavy and it's something that I don't like to talk about all the time. And so I have all these players 
actually have to put up with that if they came out, it would be, I think it would be way too much. And so they don't want to deal with it now even. Like I bet you if you were to ask players or a closeted player or anything like that about this subject, they just don't want to talk about it because it's something that's just added, it's an added weight to them. And they already have this whole professional athletic career to worry about. And so that's part of the reason why you don't have guys in particular come out. Izzy, I'm curious, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a free country. We have First Amendment rights. What about the excuse about hockey culture? How do you feel about that? I mean... I understand it in an odd way because as a closeted gay man growing up, one thing that I really wanted to be is a part of something. I wanted to be accepted into a group. I think you can understand the psychology of that, right? And so where else is the easiest way to do that? To me, it was in sports. I could play a little bit and If I could play, then I knew other guys or other teammates wanted me on their team. And so you're accepted into into it. You, you, this game that you love has embraced you, and now you're going to fall in line to it. And I think as much as it is an excuse, it's a reason. Like, those are my boys, and I'm going to do what I have to do to remain in that circle. And if you step out of it, especially for something that maybe doesn't really feel important to you, then you're not going to. And so I think while it is a reason, it also can be fixed. When you've got uh, Travis Dermott out here sort of going against the grain, and then you see how he is supported nationally, internationally, or whomever you want to say supported him, that goes outside of hockey. That's, that's an even bigger hug from a bigger group of people that makes you feel like you are part of something. So I guess what I would say about hockey culture being an excuse or a reason is it can change. I, I think hockey culture can be more inclusive, and I don't think that will do any damage to the game or to any element of the sport. I completely agree. And if we think about what sports is at a professional level, it's about money. For Gary Bettman, it's about making his owners happy and putting money in their pocket and getting as many fans in the seats and their eyes on the televisions as possible. It's still a very gate-dependent league. Why would you want to make a group of people and exclude them and make them say, hey, no, this is not where I want to spend my dollars? That doesn't make any sense to me. I wanted to talk about a little bit about youth hockey and sort of what can happen at that level to maybe impact the sport uh, on this topic. But I wanted to sort of preface it by sort of telling you about a friend of mine. His name is Dorian Bryant. Dorian was a wide receiver for Purdue who would have been projected to be anyway drafted. Back then it was the first day, right? It was one of the first three rounds, maybe even in the fourth round. But Dorian was closeted at the time. And there were sort of rumors that were going through uh, Purdue University to the point where uh, at Indiana, the student group section decided to grab a bunch of uh, rainbow flag printouts with his face directly on it and plaster them all over the stadium. Now, this was, you know, mid-2000s, maybe 2007 or eight, And so it doesn't come with the same sort of sense of pride that it maybe would now, right? Especially when you're closeted. And that sort of leaked its way, obviously, into NFL discussions and NFL circles. And Dorian Bryant, who would have been a millionaire and been a successful wide receiver in the NFL, decided not to play football anymore. He decided to just drop the sport. He became, you know, a bartender. He lived with his partner uh, in New York and says he is 
very happy about the choice uh, because he can live his life freely and didn't have to worry about people talking about him uh, or, you know, teammates not accepting him and everything else that came with playing that sport. And so when you think about that at that level, think about how easy it is for somebody who's, I don't know, 12, 13 years old to say, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just realizing that I'm probably gay and there is nothing about this game that's accepting, so I'm out. And you never know what kind of potential that person could have had in the sport. So, you know, I say all that to, to ask if there's any sort of initiatives, any sort of directives, anything with youth hockey that you know or can, can speak to that might be changing in a way and helping change what we're calling hockey culture. You know, Izzy, we often look to professional athletes or the NHL, which is the highest level that you can get into the sport and say, these need to be the role models and what they do will trickle down. But I often believe that, especially in hockey with such a deep rooted culture, there needs to be a trickle up effect. There's an example right now. Uh, a player died in England this past week. Uh, his name was Adam Johnson. He was cut in the neck by a skate blade and what his team was called a freak accident. This has really shaken the cocky community. And all of a sudden, we're wondering, should players wear neck guards? It's not mandated in the NHL. And one of the reasons players don't wear it is they say, oh, it can be uncomfortable. Oh, it restricts my movement. It feels too hot. Or frankly, it doesn't look cool. But they're just not normalized to wearing it because it's not required by USA Hockey when you're coming up and playing. And it's not mandated in the ECHL or AHL or these developmental leagues to get to the NHL. So a lot of players I've talked to have called for a change and saying, if you mandate this in youth hockey, it will normalize the wear that by the time they get to the NHL, they will feel comfortable wearing these neck guards. So I wonder when it comes to the topic of social issues and acceptance, if we did more educational programs at the youth hockey level, and we maybe make some requirements for inclusivity training when players are coming up, that by the time they get to the league, they have much more awareness and education and therefore sophistication on these topics. Emily, you introduced me to Brock McGillis uh, just this week. Can you tell me who he is and why he is important to this conversation? Well, firstly, he's fantastic, and I'm so glad you guys chatted. Um, Brock is a former hockey player. He grew up in Canada. He played in the Ontario Hockey League. It's the top tier of junior hockey. And after he was done playing, he came out as gay. And he decided to make it his mission to be an advocate because one of the issues in hockey is its insularity, that players aren't really exposed to larger communities. And a lot of hockey players have never interacted with someone who's out as gay. And Brock felt it was important to be so visible because... He was their peer. He was their teammate. He was in locker rooms with them. He could speak to what it was like just interacting in that space. Brock has done such important work on the speaking circuit. Teams are now bringing him in. The Chicago Blackhawks, for example, brought him in to speak to their prospects camp over the summer and then again at training camp just to put a face, honestly, to the gay community. Because if you're only interacting with people, right. you don't understand the humanity of it and realize like, hey, someone like Brock's a real person. Brock, another really important person in this conversation, Bane Pettinger, he's an agent with CAA. They're one of the most powerful agencies uh, in hockey and all across sports. He's also since come out as gay, and they created something called the Alphabet Sports Collective, um, and it's a group of allies to, to do more programming like this. And again, Bane is so important as a figure in the community because he's representing players. He's in a position where they have to interact with, and once players can make a correlation between, hey, look, 
I'm not just wrapping my stick with rainbow tape. I'm doing this because it's important to someone like my agent or someone like my friend. Then it makes such a deeper connection because you realized the humanity in this conversation. Because really, that's what we're talking about, Izzy. It's a conversation about humanity. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I wanted to bring up Brock. And that's why I wanted to have this discussion with you, frankly, because it just puts more faces to a subject, right? And I'm just wondering what you think in terms of, hey, we've already seen Gary Bettman's terrible decision turn into something positive. Can this still keep going in this direction? Yeah, you know, behind the scenes, I'm sure there will continue to be a lot of work in this space. The Player Inclusion Committee teams and their marketing departments and business departments will continue to do things to engage with the gay community. But the conversation about pride tape and jerseys just underscore the importance of being visible, of these front-facing activations, of showing your support in a way that people can actually see and touch and relate to. And I think that is the message that I hope players take from this, that even if you are supportive and even if you're totally cool and an ally and you want to see the sport feel inclusive, you kind of got to do something and say it out loud for it to matter. Do you think this might result in hockey players being more vocal and socially outspoken? You know, I think this is something that's just going to happen gradually over time because hockey culture, as we've said, is so deeply rooted. But the younger generations, Gen Z coming up, they grew up differently than you and I did. And we're millennials, and we grew up a little bit differently than the boomers did uh, and the generations before that. And Generation Z, I think, is a little bit more comfortable making it about themselves than talking about how they feel. They also grew up in a landscape where we talked way more about the LGBTQIA plus community. It's much more accepted now. So I do think gradually these things will change over time. I just think hockey would like to see an accelerant. Well, Emily, I'm certainly somebody who doesn't love talking about myself, especially in situations like this. But I did want to make this a little bit about myself because it's putting a human element to a topic that most people just talk in these random general tones. And the more you hear how something as simple as putting tape on a stick can actually affect human beings... I think the more people will understand that this isn't some minor thing or this isn't some politically driven issue. This is just real life that I and many people like me live in. And we just don't want to feel like everybody has reasons or a green light to hate us. Honestly, Izzy, I'm so glad we did this episode. And I really hope people just listen to you and listen to your story and understand you're a human being who just wants to interact with the world, and we should not be excluding you or really anyone. Thank you, Emily. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bruce Baldwin, Bradford Craig, happy birthday, Bradford, Andrew Hahn, Alexander Hyacinth, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andres Soto, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks to Andy Tennant, Mike Johns, and Jackson Agello. Before we go, I want to throw to our producer, Alexander Hyacinth, for a special message. Thanks, Izzy. I want to take a second here at the end of the episode to bid a bittersweet farewell to Aaron Vale, one of the original producers of the ESPN Daily Podcast. She's going to be pursuing other opportunities within the company here at ESPN, 
We wish her nothing but the best. You'll be very missed, Erin. Thank you for all your hard work, and we can't wait to see what's coming down the line. We'll talk to you Monday.